with over 25 years of experience integrating mental health and spirituality, the author of Reclaiming Authenticity, When Ancestors Weep, and Redeeming the Bereaved. Here is Dr. James Houck. Okay, well, hey, good evening, everybody, wherever you are in the world at this time. Welcome to Reclaiming Authenticity, finding one's courage to reclaim that which has always, always been in you. I am very excited to be with you here tonight. It's a new year, and I am with you at a new day and time. I'll be here every other Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I am Dr. James Houck, and if you would like more information about me or to leave me your comments about today's broadcast, I just invite you to visit the website. It's www.bbsradio.com forward slash Reclaiming Authenticity. It's www.bbsradio.com forward slash Reclaiming Authenticity. All one word. And if you would like to call in and uh, join in on the conversation, the number is 888-627-6008. That's 888-627-6008. And I'll be taking your calls after the break. And I uh, just want to give you a little reminder here that these broadcasts are now podcasted in case you want to go back and listen to it again, or if you want to go back into the archives and listen to previous shows. And also, uh, these broadcasts are now available for download on Audible and Amazon Music and listen on Station One and iHeartRadio. Well, for those of you tuning in for the first time, I just wanted to say welcome to the show. Um, each and every other week, these broadcasts are dedicated to the integration of our spirituality and our mental health. So let's start off the new year with a very, very special blessing. Om Sarve Bhavanantu Sukhina Sarve Santu Niramaya. Translated, may there be happiness, harmony, peace, and prosperity for all. Well, welcome to tonight's broadcast. It's a very special broadcast indeed. It's entitled Getting Unstuck, Transforming Mental, Emotional, Physical, and Spiritual Energies. Now, when you think about it, it's, you know, the call to live a more authentic life is, I think, becoming more increasingly poignant these days. It's, it seems like everywhere we turn, you know, you can agree with me on this, uh, genuineness and authenticity are rare. They're just rare characteristics among people who are searching for what I would call a palpable substance in relationships, whether it's personal or professional relationships. And nowadays, you know, society is rapidly conditioning generations to question the motives and desires of others like never before. Uh, for example, uh, personal image is at an all-time fever pitch as one reality show after another presents us with anything but reality. And daily, it seems like we're being sold the message that to be the most socially acceptable persona, 
that money can buy. In fact, it seems as though the more drama, the more tears, the better the front page story. You know, in other words, who can outshock who? Who can accumulate more toys and points than anybody else? Who has more guile, more trickery? Uh, who is more cunning, either by hook or by crook? And cutthroat politics and religious scandals have just saturated the daily news as bewildered people in coffee shops and bars and restaurants look at each other, just wondering how much worse can it get? Well, unfortunately, instead of taking people at face value, we're now accustomed to ask, what's the catch? Perhaps as a result of a, a number of humiliating and painful experiences, we avoid any further investing of physical, emotional, or spiritual parts of ourselves in relationships. I mean, after all, we want to protect ourselves. We don't want to get hurt. We don't want to be disappointed. And furthermore, out of our own brokenness, we may feel that we just cannot risk being a victim to yet another example of fraud or trickery and or dishonesty. Uh, past physical, psychological, and spiritual wounding has taken too much out of us, leaving us to believe that others simply conspire to take advantage of our vulnerability. And, and yet, isn't this the dilemma we face? I mean, to strive for genuineness and authenticity in our relationships also demands a level of vulnerability from us. And therefore, I, I place this integration of mental health and spirituality in relationships. Because when you think about it, we often receive our deepest physical, emotional, psychological, and even spiritual wounds in relationships. And yet, here's the irony. We can discover our greatest healing and strength and peace and forgiveness and love through healthier relationships. And these relationships just might be within our own families, you know, coworkers, our friends, neighbors. Because, you know, whenever we transform, we also transform others by our presence, by our grace, by our understanding, by our patience. But first, forgiveness and kindness and compassion and so forth begin with how we treat ourselves. Because whenever we're more compassionate with ourselves, I guarantee you, we're going to be then more compassionate with others. And when we are more forgiving of ourselves, we then can be more forgiving with others. And when we're able to live in, in simple gratitude with ourselves, and when we discover how this opens up our hearts, we're going to see and live in gratitude with others. So all in all, transformation, first and foremost, begins with us. Or another way to put it, you know, this is before that we can expect and appreciate authenticity from another, we are compelled to confront our own inconsistent and inauthentic ways. Now, one of my favorite uh, authors and family psychotherapists, Virginia Satir, uh, she sums up this sentiment quite nicely, and she places it all within the context of relationships. And she says, I want to love you without clutching. I want to appreciate you without judging. I want to join you without invading. 
I want to invite you without demanding. I want to leave you without guilt. I want to criticize you without blaming and help you without insulting. And if I can have the same from you, then we can truly meet each other. Now, as idealistic as this kind of human interaction sounds, genuineness and authenticity in relationships are tangible. But it does indeed require a lifelong commitment to our self-discovery and honesty about who we are with all of our warts and gifts and phobias and strengths and graces and everything else. And it's unfortunate that today this kind of commitment is a price many consider just way too high to pay and not worth their time. I mean, you know, some people would rationalize. They say, wouldn't it just be easier to be satisfied with the status quo and just go with the flow and not the question, don't ruffle any feathers, so on and so forth. Let's all just go along to get along. Well, of course, that might be the frequently traveled road. But come on, let's not deceive ourselves. The, the inner desire for genuineness and authenticity in relationships with ourselves, others, and God in the universe is not going away. Moreover, that internal logging to be more authentic and truer to ourselves only becomes louder and louder and more and more intense. And the question is just how much more sleep do we want to keep losing night after night? And just how many more times are we going to blame others for what we don't have? <clears throat> how many more times are we going to live in the, well, I would have, I should have, I could have, but I didn't. It's interesting in his book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, um, author Henry Nowen writes that people discover that there is a tremendous strength in healthy relationships. There are people who heal each other's wounds, forgive each other's offenses, share their possessions, foster the spirit of community, celebrate the gifts that they have received, and live in constant anticipation of the full manifestation of God in relationships. So how do we do this? How do we engage in an inner spiritual transformation that is ongoing and more aligned with our authenticity? Well, let's think about it in terms of energy, okay? Now, a basic definition of energy, as we learned in physics class, hopefully, is the capacity for doing some kind of work or effort. Okay, and uh, energy can exist as kinetic energy or thermal energy or electrical en uh, energy, uh, as well as there's mental energy, emotional energy, physical energy, and even spiritual energy. And a basic rule of physics is that energy is something that cannot be destroyed whether it's mental, whether it's emotional, whether it's spiritual, whether it's kinetic, whether it's uh, any other kind of energy out there. It's something that cannot be destroyed. It can only be transferred from, let's say, one body to another. So, for example, let's think about heat. Heat that is transferred may become thermal energy, 
and then it could be used for mechanical energy and so on and so on and so on okay but what is this shift that occurs in us that can move us from carbon energy to crystalline energy that is moving us from let's say a 3d to a 5d energy and higher dimensions now this involves a releasing of unneeded energies and replacing them with higher vibrations of love and light it involves releasing you know those unneeded energies of let's say unforgiveness or bitterness or anger or any other kind of pain crystalline energy is the energy of light and love it's very powerful in that it has the potential to transform anything that is not aligned with love and with our higher vibrational selves. And as a society, I think we're starting to catch on. We, we already know that cell memory occurs when we hold trauma in the body. And that cell memory and the energy that we hold, that traumatic energy, it can change our cells, our genes. And this is the, the, you know, the, the study of epigenetics. And these are the studies that, that I think started in, uh, out of the traumatic experiences of World War I, World War II, as well as other atrocities uh, that had happened down through uh, the uh, 20th and 21st centuries, whereby the trauma was stamped on people's DNA, and it was then passed along to future generations. And this is, you know, the the work which I started in intergenerational trauma and complex trauma. And I started to see this in a lot of people who were, shall we say, second and third, maybe in fourth generations removed from the initial traumatic event. But yet they acted out as if they had been involved in the trauma itself. But it was the energy that was being passed down because the because of epigenetics, uh, the trauma changed the cells, the genes. And so intergenerational trauma and complex trauma looks at multiple generations of who else is affected here. And oftentimes going back to, if we can, going back to the original source of the moment where the trauma was experienced by, let's say, a grandparent, great-grandparent, or even a great-great-grandparent. And, you know, whenever we shift into higher consciousness or vibration, that too creates a change in our DNA. And it can certainly break up trauma that has altered our genes, even in the slightest way. And the same thing is true with our mental health. Uh, You know, when we speak of short-term and long-term memories and intelligence, there's actually two ways of looking at at this. See, there's fluid intelligence, and then there's crystallized intelligence. Now, fluid intelligence involves being able to think and reason abstractly and solve problems. And uh, this ability is considered independent of learning and experience and education. Okay, now the key to this is that fluid intelligence tends to decline during late, later adulthood. 
and certain cognitive skills uh, associated with fluid intelligence tend to decline in people as they get older. So we might say that their short-term memory is just starting to fade and so forth. Now, crystallized intelligence, on the other hand, is based upon our lived experiences, which we have attributed some form of meaning to. So as we age and as we accumulate new knowledge and understanding, it's our crystallized intelligence that encompasses everything, everything we have ever learned, our experiences, sounds that we might have heard, food that might have been tasted, emotions we have felt, which also now include core, you know, positive core memories and negative core memories. And all of these experiences are held in this crystallized intelligence, which has been shown to become stronger and more resilient over time. <clears throat> and this is why, you know, if you talk to uh, elderly folks, you know, they may not be able to know what they had for lunch, but you ask them about something that happened on the very first day of school, they could probably go back and tell you in great detail, or the first time they fell in love with their husband or their wife, you know, because they've attached meaning to those experiences. But, you know, even within something so strong as our crystallized intelligence, there are, there are still unhealthy patterns of behaviors and distorted perspectives that need to be dissolved and released. Because basically, you're never too old to experience a radical shift in your vibrational awareness of your vast self. So we, we have to begin with the awareness that everything is connected to energy. Everything is energy. Our thoughts, our words, our behaviors, everything. And this is why many ancient cultures value their elders, because they are the people who carry the wisdom for the people. They have the lived experiences which turns into wisdom. They've spent the better part of their lives along the elders of their time, and let's say listening to their stories from the elders and so forth. And some elders, men and women, have even been gifted with the ability to understand how ancient wisdom carries with it the knowledge and the teachings for the people to continue living. In other words, so that the people may live. And it is vital, 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 vital for us to value and integrate such ancient wisdom and experiences of the elders that enhance our understanding and transform our limited abilities to fully realize ourselves as limitless souls. And as we begin this process of a higher dimensional relationship with God, we're going to be reminded of all the negative psychological, emotional, and spiritual patterns within our relationships that keep us stuck in the past. And these vibrational shifts certainly show themselves in relationships. Whenever we uh, 
have something positive and, and or we're able to find it through forgiveness or repairing a relationship, um, we become more loving, more patient, and more forgiving with ourselves and with others. So basically, it's a daily surrender uh, or saying yes to being led by our soul's desires that connects us with God in the universe. Or if you really want to look at it another way, uh, we let go of the former in order to take hold of something more life-giving by changing the energy of those things first. We can transform the energy of negative thoughts, the bitterness that goes with it, or unforgiveness, or uh, just how we just uh, spin those thoughts of just, you know, loathsomeness of how we see ourselves. Or we can also transform the energy of emotional extremes. We can also transform the energy of physical trauma, as I was talking about a little while ago. And we can certainly transform the energy of spiritual woundedness more easily. Because when we are no longer controlled by fear, we discover a grace that has been with us all along. I'm going to say that again. That we can transform energies of negative thoughts, emotional extremes, physical trauma, spiritual woundedness more easily. Because when we are no longer controlled by fear, we discover a grace that has been with us all along. And maybe that's where you need to begin. Look at the things that you're controlled by fear of. What do you fear? What do you fear of letting go in order to take hold of something better? And, you know, it it does take courage because many times we want to hang on to the past or we, let's say we can't imagine something better in our lives, let alone discovering who we really are. Because this involves us letting go of things such as attitudes and perceptions that no longer serve us or keep us wounded or keep us distant from others. You know, I often share with kids and teenagers just a great metaphor. Uh, The kids and teenagers that I counsel, it's the metaphor of the fire, the image of the fire of transformation. And as we sit with ourselves and and as we identify our negative thoughts or negative emotions or whatever, um, we can imagine sending that mental and emotional energy into the fire to be transformed. We can send those thoughts and those negative emotions into the fire that have weakened and diminished the mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual body. And by sending it out, we also need to keep in mind that it needs to be changed. It needs to be transformed. And so as we send things into the fire, we just ask that may this, you know, let's say for an example, bitterness, may this bitterness that I'm hanging on to go into the fire and may I go out into the universe and it would be changed and transformed and will return to me as forgiveness or understanding or peace. You see, in the past, there was a common teaching for us to send our negative energy into the earth to be soaked up, as it were, okay? However, um, you know, there's some people who disagree with me on this, but this is just my own personal belief that the earth can no longer absorb that negative energy. 
it's being choked out by all the negativity that's being spewed by humanity. But, you know, just as fire transforms wood into ash and dust and gases and so forth, so it goes up into the universe only to come back in the form of snow and rain and, and etc. <clears throat> so as for the negative energy to be transformed into gifts that honor and sustain the mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual body, and certainly bring a heightened awareness and vibration of our vast self. And interestingly enough, in doing so, over time, we discover that we start to shift from, well, we no longer wish to find peace and grace and love, but rather we start to transform into <clears throat> embodying peace, grace, and love. And talk about the vibration we give off. <laughs> this sense of beingness generates a powerful, positive energy field, or even a, a vibrant aura. Now, a while back, there was a research study done uh, from the HeartMath Institute. And it was entitled The Heart-Brain Synchronization Between Mother and Baby. I think it was back in like 2008, 2009. So it's been a while. But it studied the energetic heart-brain interactions that occurred between a mother and her infant. And fascinating study because the researchers were able to show that the mother's brain waves synchronized to that of her baby's heartbeat. And it appeared that when the mother placed her attention on the baby, that she became more sensitive to the subtle electromagnetic signals generated by her infant's heart. And from these studies, there is strong, strong evidence that suggests that our social interactions have the potential to not only affect family members, but also all relationships. And furthermore, the implications of this heart-mind can also be applied to healing our ancestors through our soul connection. And as I mentioned a little while ago, this is where I got my start in understanding how to transform traumatic energy and healing intergenerational trauma. Because the more we heal from past trauma and emotional pain and psychological suffering, and even our spiritual woundedness, the more... We all give off a transformative higher energy field that stems from our soul. And others can sense this energy even before we speak. And therefore, we no longer have to worry about what we're going to say in any, given, in any given situation. We can simply be. And we find ourselves being more fully present with ourselves and others as well as we begin to experience God in the most unlikely places and through the most unlikely people, which is actually where God has been found all along. Because when one person rises, let's say, we all benefit. I really would like to hear your heart on this subject. <clears throat> Excuse me. So if you would like to call in, again, the number is 888-627-6008. And I'll be taking your calls after the break. Again, you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity, and I'm your host, Dr. James Halk. I'll be back with you in one minute. 
welcome back. I am Dr. James Houck, and you're listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. Uh, now, I just wanted to share a little bit with you about next uh, show on Wednesday, January the 18th at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, it's entitled Transforming Generational Wounds through the wisdom of the elder. So this is kind of like a part two of what we got going on here tonight, but getting into more of healing intergenerational trauma, because again, the more and more people I talk to about, you know, exactly what is the integration with our spirituality and our mental health, the more questions come up regarding exactly what is intergenerational trauma? Why is it important to heal? What happens if it doesn't heal? And so on and so forth. So join me in two weeks on Friday, January the 18th at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, right here on BBS Radio Station One for transforming generational wounds through the wisdom of the elders. <clears throat> well, earlier in the show, I was... Uh, talking about, um, as we begin this process of uh, shifting into a higher energetic dimensional relationship with God, there's a mouthful, we are going to be reminded of all the negative psychological, emotional, and spiritual patterns that keep us stuck in the past. But let's also keep in mind that walking in this manner, in a higher vibration with God, is a daily surrender or saying yes to being led by our soul's desires that connect us with God in the first place. And so we let go of the former unhealthy things and unhealthy thinking and, and so forth in order to take on more life-giving aspects by changing the energy of those things. We let go more easily because we are no longer controlled by fear, but now we are compelled out of everlasting love and grace. And many people I talk to, uh, sometimes on a daily basis in counsel, they are filled with brokenness, pain, and self-loathing. And many, you know, truth be told, many are at a loss as to what they can do next or struggling to find insight that will empower them to take those first steps towards unlocking their own psychological, emotional, physical, and spiritual freedom. But still, there are many people out there who, out of ignorance or fear, would rather live in their grief and their pain and their sorrow. They don't like it, but they would rather live in it. I mean, for many, they're just not ready to let go of their wounds and embrace the possibility that they can live in forgiveness, gratitude, and ultimately love for themselves and love for others. Now, a while back, this book, I think, came out in the 90s, um, maybe this early 90s, but in her book, Why People Don't Heal, uh, by author Carolyn Mace, uh, she stated that we're not to remain wounded. You know, we are supposed to move through our tragedies and challenges and to help each other move through the many painful episodes in our lives. And furthermore, she says that when we remain stuck in the energy of our wounds, we block 
our own transformation. In fact, when this occurs, we tend to overlook the greater gifts that are inherent in us, maybe even being brought out by those wounds once they are being healed, you know, such as the, having the strength to overcome them and the lessons that we are really meant to receive. Again, those lived experiences turn into wisdom. Because just perhaps, you know, these wounds are intended to teach us to be more compassionate and patient and wise. Well, if you've been following me now for some time, you've heard me say on this program before that one of life's greatest experiences of irony is how often we receive our deepest emotional, psychological, spiritual, and physical wounds as a result of being in relationships with one another. Okay, that's kind of a mantra for me here. That's, that's why I place, you know, the integration of our spirituality and mental health in relationships. And whether the wounding was intentional or maybe the wounding was accidental, it is what we do afterwards once we have been wounded or perhaps after we realize that we have wounded another person that's either going to reinforce those wounds or find a way to be healed and be free from those burdens and as we all explore our painful memories and trust me folks we all have painful memories when we explore that, we often catch a glimpse of what healing and wholeness just might look for us. And when this insight occurs, we may be tempted to resist that change or run away from transformation or even sabotage ourselves by falling back into old ways in order to avoid embracing what thorough healing requires of us, such as acknowledging a wrongdoing or asking for and receiving forgiveness, letting go of bitterness, or letting go of resentment, or taking responsibility, or living in more gratitude, or whatever the case may be. And even when an opportunity to forgive and reconcile with one who has caused us great pain and suffering, and vice versa, whenever that is presented, because bitterness has so entangled our soul, it's often impossible to let go of that pain. In fact, some people might even believe that to let go of that bitterness is a sign of weakness. All in all, sometimes both the victim, survivor, and offenders cannot envision taking hold of something better. It's just too vulnerable of a place for them to go. Well, Although each person walks his or her own spiritual path in this life, embracing the forgiveness and the healing and the grace and the love occurs as each person is ready, as we are open, as we become more aware, as we become more willing. And, and nobody can do this for another person. In other words, the door of healing can be shown, but we're the ones that have to turn the key and walk through. And yet this doesn't mean that there's nothing we can do because let's go back to the idea that everything is connected to energy. You know, our thoughts, our words, our behaviors, everything 
And when there is energy, there are different vibrational levels. Sometimes they can be seen, sometimes they can be heard, sometimes they can be felt. And everything in our lives has a vibration. And different sounds have different vibrations. Even silence has a vibration. If you've ever seen any demonstration involving how water crystals are formed and transformed by specific sounds of music, then I would say you're probably familiar with the experiments by Masaru Emoto. Now you can now you can Google his name, you know, uh, has before and after pictures. I think it's fascinating that he took after using uh, various sound effects and music to create different crystallized structures in water. And since water is now known to absorb and store sound effects, his experiments on the effects of music and words on water are truly amazing. So it stands to reason then that since sound can create change, our voice also carries with it the vibrational energy to either damage or restore, to tear down or create. Our voices, and yes, especially our thoughts, truly possess a powerful vibration with them. Because every time we speak, we can feel the vibration echoing from our larynx as the sound waves are heard in the eardrums of others, and vice versa. And we can use our voices through toning sounds to harmonize and balance ourselves and our energetic pathways. And many people who meditate often do so by just softly chanting sounds that uh, echo the sentiments of purity or gratitude and placement or inner awareness and being open and teachable. And this is a prominent theme that emerges time and time again, that when people not only find the power of their voice, they also begin to listen to the empowerment of others, that they too find their voice and are never, ever the same again. And this is often the case with anyone who has gone through any kind of trauma or event in their life, which a person's assumptions have been completely shattered. And to find and or reclaim your voice, that takes time, but it can be done. Because once you heal and once you find your voice, you're never going to lose it again. Now, admittedly, many people are unable to perceive their insights and their strengths as if they cannot see themselves capable of such healing or let alone achieving anything meaningful with their lives. Well, most of the time, people are content to live for brief moments of joy and celebration. You know, the the times that are marked off by transitional milestones of births and baptisms and marriages and birthdays and graduations and promotions, retirements and funerals. But, you know, when it comes to wrestling with life's questions, Many people are often overwhelmed, not only by the concept that the answers they seek often lie within themselves, but also there's a subtle message that the belief of that that inner freedom and peace and joy and unconditional love are just simply too good to be true. 
that those things belong to somebody else. But the truth is that we already have the key. We have the key to unlock our doors to an inner freedom of grace and peace like we have never known before. Just like grace, it has always been with us. That key has always been with us. Most of the time, there is a strong connection between this perception of fear of change and perceived powerlessness and a lifetime of struggling with self-loathing and, let's say, low to no self-esteem. And through various hurtful experiences, people have internalized society's definition that, that says, well, you're dirty, you're worthless, you have no voice, you are dispensable, you're no good, you're backward, you'll not amount to anything, and so on and so forth. And although it's difficult to say when people started to internalize these messages, as is how old they were, it's often perhaps easier to pinpoint from whom these messages came. Maybe you heard these, these messages from parents or teachers or friends, or perhaps these messages were even reinforced by society at large. <clears throat> but we can transform these perceptions and negative thoughts by just changing the energy of them by simply taking a page from the African concept of Ubuntu. Now, Ubuntu is a concept that's easy to understand, you know, but for some reason it's difficult for people to practice it on a large scale in the West. It starts with the belief that there is a universal bond of sharing that connects all of humanity. So simply put, Ubuntu can be communicated as I am because we are. I am because we are. It encompasses a quality that includes the essential human virtues such as compassion and humanity. And since we belong to each other, we participate in our lives, we are because you are. And since you are, definitely I am. Well, back in the day, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, he once described Ubuntu as embracing hospitality and caring about others, being willing to go that extra mile for just for the sake of another. In other words, a person is a person through other persons, and that my humanity is caught up, bound up, inextricably with yours. And so when I dehumanize you, I inevitably dehumanize myself. Because we are so connected to one another, every thought, every word, every action is energy. When one is made to suffer, we all suffer. But when one rises, we all rise. His history certainly has demonstrated that society holds out an ever-changing measuring stick for, you know, it has one standard for the so-called powerful and the privileged, and another for the weakened and the wounded. But nevertheless, regardless of its place in history, there seems to be a continuous pattern of interpersonal indignity and humiliation 
for people who do not realize their truth and have been convinced that the only way to know and accept themselves is to settle on society's definition and mistreatment of them. Mm. Unfortunately, for some wounded people, that's enough to settle for. And as we begin this process of a higher dimension relationship with God, yes, we are going to be reminded of all the negative things in our life, all the negative patterns within our relationships that keep us stuck in the past. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Another author put the concept of Ubuntu this way. He writes, in certain regions of South Africa, when someone does something wrong, he is taken to the center of the village and he's surrounded by his tribe for two days. And uh, for those those two days, they speak of all the good he has done. You see, they believe each person is good, yet sometimes we make mistakes which is really a cry for help. They unite in this ritual to encourage the person to reconnect, to remember his true nature. The belief is that unity and affirmation has more power to change, to change behavior than shame and punishment. And this is known as Ubuntu, humanity towards others. See, this is what it means to transform negative and destructive energy into healing life, uh, you know, into healing life-giving purpose that benefits everyone. When positive energy is shared, it certainly increases. Unfortunately, so does negative energy. So therefore, whenever you have a chance to affirm another person, do it. Meditate on their goodness and consider who they are deep inside. But also remind yourself of your value, dignity, and worth, and remind others of theirs. Forgive when given the opportunity. Restore when it is within your power to do so. And laugh and discover the joy in the simplest things in life and never ever underestimate the value of your thoughts and your prayers being and living in gratitude for what we share as humanity restores our faith in one another especially in the generations that have yet to be born so all in all Our voice is a very powerful thing, and toning enables us to find our voice and to find our vibration. And not just to find your voice, but also use your voice. Use your vibration. Not to be shut down, but to take back what has always been in you. So that the people may always, always live. This is Dr. James Halk, and you've been listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. Join me in uh, two weeks on Wednesday, January the 18th at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time 
for another broadcast that integrates our spirituality and our mental health entitled Transforming Generational Wounds Through the Wisdom of the Elders. But in the meantime, be safe, behave yourselves, and take care. Bye-bye. For an answer, or just to leave a thousand comments, or prodding around to buy a book by Dr. Hauk, it's all there. Just wander over to ReclaimingAuthenticity.com and click around. And we'll see you next Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. Pacific, on BBS Radio TV.